0: All right, we are in Romans chapter 8. I have a few more comments to make on uh, Romans uh, uh, verse uh, 17, Romans 8 verse 17. We'll read that verse again. now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so now for the next week or so, we're going to talk about the suffering aspect of walking with Christ. Because Paul has made it very clear that if we are Christians, we are going to share in the suffering of Christ. It is part of our walk. It is part of what God does to us in order to make us more like Christ. Our sufferings don't happen by accident. They happen by the divine will of God. Uh, And so uh, we know that there's some suffering as a result of persecution. But there's other forms of suffering I want to talk to you about this morning. And so if you have your Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, and so the point of this, for this section of Scripture is that uh, God sometimes uses suffering in order to prove holiness within us. This, this verse says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. There it is. God's perfecting the very salvation you have given. Uh, And you know, Paul said that in another section of Scripture, work out your salvation. Well, part of working out your salvation can, in fact, be suffering. Uh, And you see this also if you turn to uh, Zechariah chapter 13. Now, Zechariah is at the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. This this section of scripture talks about the refining work of God. Uh, and that's something that we need to be aware of, that God is refining us. He's perfecting us. Uh, and so we need to understand that. Zechariah 13 verse 9 says as follows. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. Now, several things come to point there. Uh, God is speaking about the refining aspect of what he's doing, that he's changing you. He's making you more like Christ every day, uh, and that you will become like gold. Uh, And what he says there is in the refining process, we will call on his name, meaning God, help me. Lord, explain this. Lord, heal me. Lord, affirm me in so many different ways, even as we go through this process. And what does he say there? I will answer them. He will not abandon you. Uh, I will answer them. Uh, And we have to understand the answering prayer of God, the answering response for God, and that is this. It is not always for healing. It's not always for healing. Uh, But it's always to advance your salvation, to make you stronger and mightier uh, before God, to make you more like Jesus Christ. And so this pictures God, you see, uh, as a skilled refiner, someone who knows what it takes to take the impurities out of the metal. And the refiner knows when the metal is ready. He knows, uh, even before we do. And so, God will continue to purify us until he can see the face of Christ and his people. Now, you may say, whoa, that's a hard one. That could go on for my entire life. I'd say, yeah, probably. Yeah. I'd say, probably you're right. Right to the end. Right to the end. And so, there's the nature of what it means to be a Christian. That's the promise. Uh, This aspect of being refined and perfected right to the end, of your life, uh, because he wants to see the face of Christ and his people. Often, I see the face of Christ in people as they're dying, often. I can tell you I see that with Christians, Uh, and I believe that's the hand of God. That is the hand of God. Now, another image uh, of the Christian suffering is of God disciplining uh, us as an earthly father disciplines his children. Now, this is a big deal. Uh, and I spoke before about the fact that God puts guardrails up in our life. Meaning what? Meaning that we have a tendency always, all of us, even as saved men, we have a tendency to go off the trail. Uh, and we make mistakes. And we move in areas where we shouldn't move. Uh, and, and the carnal nature of the flesh takes over. Uh, and God sees it. And God Loves you, and God doesn't want you to do that, and so God, in His love, as a as a father, disciplines us, and that's part of suffering. And so, when the suffering comes into your life, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a disciplining. One one of our people, uh, I jokingly referred to today, took a trip and said he needed to take a short trip up north. Uh, for the cold weather for about a week. And then while he was up there, he fell on the ice and got a concussion. Uh, and I said, hmm, I wonder if God was speaking to you about the nature of short trips from Naples during the winter time." <laughs> you understand? I mean, you have to be open. You'll have to be open. That's a guardrail. Now, I'm not saying every accident is like that, but I can say this certainly in my life. When I see that I've done something, and then it kind of blows up in my face, as it often has in my life, I have to begin to question and ask God about it. I mean, that's, that's how God speaks. Uh, and, and the nature of the discipline proves that he loves you proves that he loves you. You know, when your father would hit you, he'd say, you know, this is going to hurt you, me, more than it hurts you. And of course, we knew that wasn't true, but, <laughs> we, but with God, it is true, okay? It is true, because his heart breaks for us in such, in such a profound way. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while, speaking of parents, they disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There you see the heart of God. Uh, He loves you, uh, and he's concerned about you, And so he disciplines you. And his discipline generally takes place through suffering uh, or maybe a restriction of opportunity. But it relates to the guardrails of our life. And you know you hit a guardrail, you go back on the road, but you got a bump, right? you got a bump. You feel it. Uh, And God wants you to feel it because he wants you to know this is not right. But look what it says there about the nature of that kind of correction. It says... It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Can you imagine having the peace of God? The peace of God because you know that he loves you because he's disciplining you. Uh, and, and that's so different from anything else you would see in this world. That's how God works. He loves you so much that he does not want you to see, see you go off the main trail. Now, there's a third kind of suffering, and that relates to training. Uh, and Paul spoke about this uh, to his protege, Timothy. And if you turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. And he says to Timothy there, "'Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus.'" Uh, he also speaks of this process as an athlete preparing for a contest. And he does that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. And there he says, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. All of this suffering proves you are a child of God. Now, that last verse can be misinterpreted. He's saying there that God is, is instructing him, and he knows that he has to walk with God. The Holy Spirit is restraining him, and so he strikes a blow for his body. Meaning what? It's as if you were training for an athletic adventure, and you knew that you had to get up in the morning and lift all kinds of weights. You're striking A blow for your body you are making your body in conformity to the will of God now he says there I make my body a slave so that after I have preached to others I will not be disqualified for the prize now don't read that as some people do as saying you're gonna lose your salvation it doesn't say that alright disqualification for the prize means when we get to heaven and God evaluates your life, now you're a child of God, he's not judging you, he's evaluating what you did for the kingdom, and what he's saying there is I don't want my actions to disqualify me for greater reward. We know about that. I want God to see that whatever I've done, I've advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So you see how this, all of this issue about suffering and restraint and disciplining all relates back to God's will for your life. God wants you to look like Jesus. At the end of the day, when you pass from this world into the next, the essence of that is that you reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. All of this proves that you are a child of God. Now, a second value of suffering is that our witness to Jesus Christ is empowered by it. Now, you see this in John chapter 9, the blind man, after Jesus healed him from his blindness. uh, And then the religious elite uh, put him under cross examination for a day or two. How did you get this? Who did this to you? How did your eyesight get delivered? Uh, all in an attempt to disqualify Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? It wasn't good enough that God healed the blind man. No, they needed to find a way to disqualify Christ. And they wanted him to change his testimony. But you see what happens when you're touched by Christ? You don't change your testimony. When you're saved, you're saved, and you don't change your testimony. So here this man is who came face-to-face with Christ, whose eyesight was delivered, would not change his testimony. He said, I was blind from birth, all right, blind from birth. Uh, And when they, you know, pushed him, he says, all I know is that Jesus Christ healed me. That's all I know. I was blind before, and now I see. Uh, And so what you recognize here is that the Christian testimony is given greater weight under the duress of suffering and persecution. Now I can tell you that this is true because I've met people uh, in the hospital who are suffering. And I can tell you when you walk the hall in the hospital and you go into a room where a Christian is there, there's almost a light that comes out of that room. You feel, you feel the presence of God. You go down the same hall and you're, you're in the presence of people who don't accept Christ and it's almost like a cave, a darkness, a depression. Uh, and so all of this speaks to God's impact in your life, making himself alive to you. Uh, and, and so this becomes important. Physical suffering uh, takes on greater grace uh, when a person can testify to God about what God has meant to his life, even when he is suffering or dying. This becomes a great understanding of what God is about. Now the final thing we need to say about suffering and the value of suffering <clears throat> is that it is a path that leads you to be ordained for glory, for glory. Paul says this in Romans eight seventeen. go back and look at it. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. God has ordained that you will share in the glory of Christ. You will one day look like Christ. You will reflect the very glory of Christ. This is what is destined uh, for you. It's an incredible uh, passage when you read this. Uh, And and so what happens is we need to weigh the present sufferings over what we're going to get when we go to heaven, when we're going to be with Christ. And there's no comparison. These are temporary things that we're facing, even if you live to be 100. Uh, and so he speaks about this, Paul speaks about this again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Therefore our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What a great verse. So in other words, even as you're going through the difficulties of life, even as things are turning against you, uh, you know you're a child of God, you know you're saved, you know you're headed for glory, you need to be able to put it into proper context. These temporary momentary sufferings difficulties issues that go against you with the knowledge you're headed for jesus you're headed for heaven you're headed for glory uh you're going to go to a place where there will be no darkness there will only be light there will be no pain you're going to be surrounded by your family your loved ones who preceded you in death that is the promise of god uh and so when you weigh it there's no comparison Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I wish I didn't have to go through it, but God is doing something mighty, mighty with you. Uh, and praise him for doing that. Uh, there are two basic things to remember about suffering as Christians. Two things to remember, suffering as Christians. Jesus taught himself that it was necessary for himself to suffer as he spoke to the Emmaus disciples. That's one of my favorite scriptures in, Bible, in the Bible, that after the crucifixion, uh, and you know the disciples were devastated uh, because Jesus died. They didn't really know that he was God yet, uh, and they were devastated, uh, and they thought that he would be the Messiah that would really be a political leader and take the yoke of Rome off, and now it all seemed like it's wrecked. And uh, two of the disciples are walking uh, Cleopas is one of the men, the other one is unnamed. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and I've been in uh, Israel. That's about a seven-mile uh, sojourn. And so Jesus is walking with them. And as he's walking with them, he's not telling them who he is uh, because he's, he's getting them to come out of their shells. They're heartbroken. And so what, as he speaks to them uh, about the Messiah, not telling them that he is the Messiah... You look at Luke 24, verse 26. And this is one of the great passages in the Bible in which Jesus elevates the Old Testament, uh, which he did on a number of times. You know, when I hear people say you don't need the Old Testament, and there's some really good evangelists that will make a comment like that, I don't understand it. Uh, there's one Bible. You understand? There's one Bible. It's the Old and the New Testament together. There's not a ruler that comes down God's word separating it just because it's separated in the book. There's one Bible. Look at what Jesus said there to these two disciples who are heartbroken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then he proved it to them by going through the scripture and showing all the passages indicating that the Messiah had to suffer so if Jesus had to suffer ordained from the beginning of time in the old testament uh, how much more us how much more us that's the nature of what it means to be a christian second as a christian uh, although suffering is necessary suffering is not the end of the story for us glory is the end of the story now this separates us from the rest of the world Because when the world suffers and they're not sold out to Jesus Christ, yes, suffering is the end of the story. Can you imagine how depressing that is? Knowing that while you're suffering, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. All you're getting is pain, pain, and pain. And then the curtain comes down and you die and you're cut off from God. But for us, all it means is a prelude to being with God. It tells us we're headed for glory. Uh, This is important for us to do. We need to learn about this and encourage one another as we walk with the Lord. Look, this becomes an important part of why you have to go to church. This is why you have to go to church. God didn't call you to be a lone ranger, okay? God didn't call you to sit in your house and turn on the television and read some books and think this is all I need. No, God called you to get up out of your house and go to be with a community of believers where you can pray for them, affirm them, lift them up, and they likewise do for you. Look, we all suffer. We all get depressed. We all are put down. We have to understand that we need to encourage one another as we walk with the Lord. Uh, And as I say this, at the same time, you need to be aware of the fact that there are false Elements of theology and evangelism today all over the world. And I hope that you in this class have been properly taught and educated on this. Our spiritual inheritance is laid up for us in heaven. It is promised to you at the moment that you are saved. At the moment that you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is implanted in your heart. God reaches across eternity, saves you, and saves you forever. Nothing, no one, no power, no principality, nothing uh, that exists can take you out of the hand of God if you are saved. Can I get an amen on that? Let's understand this. Uh, So there's a false teaching going around, and it's very prevalent today, especially with these people that are New Age Christians, uh, referring to the prosperity evangelism, I and mean, you've all seen it. You all see it. You know, the, these are the guys that say that God wants you to be rich. He wants you to have a big house. He wants you to have a new car. He wants you to have a healthy stock portfolio. Uh, and and you, all you need to do is ask for it, and he'll give it to you. Well, I don't know. I'm just pre- I spent a week on suffering. I'm teaching you about suffering. What part of the suffering message does this part of the prosperity lifting you up come in? It's a false teaching. And if you want the proof, open the New Testament and take a look at the first 11 guys. All right? Take a look at those guys. I'll add 12. I'll put Paul in there. Every single one of them was martyred. Was martyred. Now, if prosperity had relevance... Wouldn't it have relevance for the first 12 guys? They were the closest to Christ. I mean, come on, this is nonsense. Uh, And what it does is it distracts us from the proper walk with Christ. The proper walk with Christ is after you're saved, day two, you pick up the cross and you walk with Jesus. And if you're walking with Jesus, guess what? You're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have some hard times. But he's there to lift you up and hear your call. This is what it means to be a Christian. I mean, this is a magnificent call with us. Uh, God will be with us in times of trouble, in times of persecution. Uh, And he will turn the turmoil to peace. Meaning what? Even as you hurt, even as you suffer God, and you pray about it, God will give you the peace to know that it is part of his will for you. There will be an inner peace that the world will never give you. Uh, And so, look, don't buy into this false teaching. You're not going to escape trouble. You're not going to escape problems. It's part of what we we receive as as being uh, heirs of Christ. Uh, And so, you know, the world will never be right because the world is covered by Satan. The world will never be right. But God has promised to be with us right to the end. Jesus said it so poignantly. He said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And that's what it says for you. He's overcome the world. Uh, and, And so that's our promise from the Lord. Now, we start from the truth that most of the rewards are in the future. And we understand that. We're going to have rewards in this world, but the greater amount of rewards, the greater glory, is when we pass from this world into the next. Uh, and, and so there's a number of things that God has promised us. He's promised us a heavenly home. Jesus said that. I go to prepare a, a home for you, a place for you. If it, tr- if it were not so, I would not have told you that. Now, I was a little disappointed as I grew older, because uh, I was in the King James Version as a child. Um, and for me, uh, what it said there is, there is a mansion for you. Somehow, inflation got involved and the mansion became a house. And then I see now in some of the newer translations, it's now a room. Uh, <laughs> look, well, that's somewhat disturbing, I will say this to you, whatever he has for you is going to be something greater than you've ever seen, all right? If it's a room, it's a room out of the Ritz-Carlton down in the lobby area, all right? All I'm telling you is it's going to be something extraordinary because that's his promise. He also promised you a heavenly banquet, a a heavenly banquet. Uh, And that banquet would be similar uh, to what you see prepared for the prodigal son, all right? Uh, because when you, you know, he, he's just waiting for you to come home. Then he's promised you that he will, you will rule with Christ. You will rule with Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means, you see, is that somehow uh, in the economy of God, that when we get there, he has jobs for you. I don't want you to think that when you get to heaven, you're basically going to get a cloud and a harp, and you're going to just float along for eternity. Now, it's not like that. You see, part of the reason he's putting you through all these processes now uh, and molding you and making you is that he has a job for you in eternity. You're going to rule with Christ. What does that mean? I don't know. He hasn't clarified it, all right, and probably with good reason. But what I believe is that there's a governance in the kingdom of God And that based on what you have done here in this world, he's looking to see what you will do in the next world. You will rule with Christ. Uh, And then he's promised us that we will look like Christ. We will be made like Jesus himself. Uh, And and that's really an important uh, statement, that we will look like that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 3. First John th- chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There it is. You're going to be like him. Uh, uh, And that's a a tremendous uh, promise. And so Christ's inheritance to you is the glory of God. You are an heir of God. You are the brother of Jesus Christ. It means the participation, full participation, uh, and enjoyment of God himself. This is what Romans 8 17 is what, all, what it's all about. And Paul reminds us that we will share in the very glory of God. Now, I want to move on now to Romans verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. Again, another verse that relates to Paul's exposition on suffering. He says there, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Now it's difficult to really give you an accurate definition and representation of the word glory as Paul sees it. Certainly it is incomparable it is not like anything in this world, it's not like anything in this life Uh, and suffering that you suffer here that you participate in uh, is the exact opposite of that glory that you're going to receive. Uh, And glory is also the word that is used to describe God's magnificence, his very magnificence, and the magnificence of heaven uh, as well. Now, the best description of heaven is probably that of New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 1. Turn to Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Turn to that and look look at Revelation chapter 21. Next to last chapter. And so you know theologically what's going to happen uh, at the end when Christ returns. What will happen is this world will be changed forever. And heaven will then come down from its current place in the cosmos. It will come down and be brought to this world. It will be brought to this world, and this world will be changed in a profound way. Uh, And so we're talking about the new Jerusalem. So look here at Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And you know this is the vision that John the Apostle had. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. How about that? Uh, That in in the new earth, there won't be any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride order of things has passed away. How's that? How's that? No death, no mourning, no darkness, uh, no pain, all of it gone. No, in every way, the old order of things that you saw in this creation that fell as a result of sin will all be removed. Uh, then turn to verse 22, as you continue to, to scope down on this. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, that's an amazing uh, passage, because what it shows you is that in the New Jerusalem, there's not going to be a single temple, because God will be everywhere. Uh, and so, uh, what, what he's saying here is that's how grand that will be. You won't need a temple, because God will be residing here. We will be residing with God, continuing on. Uh, Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Astonishing. There'll be no need for a sun. You won't have to have a sun or a moon, because the very Shekinah glory, and you know the Shekinah glory is spoken about in the Old Testament. Uh, You know Moses came face to face with the Shekinah glory. Uh, on Mount Sinai, and when he did, he came back down and his face was so bright, they made him put a veil on it, uh, because people couldn't look at it. The very shining glory of light from God and Jesus Christ will be so profound that in this new heaven, on this earth, you won't need a sun. Continuing on, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Uh, On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Wow. There will be no night there. There will be no darkness there. This is where you're headed. So as you go through the dark passages of this life, you ought to know that's where you're walking to. That's what picking up the cross of Christ is all about. That's what it means. No pain, no tears, no mourning, no darkness in every way. Uh, And so, that is the word of what is in store for the people of God, and that word is glory. There it is. That's the glory of God, so you understand that. Uh, And so, uh, one of the reasons that we long for glory, as we do, is because we once enjoyed it, and as theologians tell you about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, they, in fact, had some aspect of glory coming from their presence. We don't know how it was, uh, whether it was a light, uh, an internal light that shone, uh, or whether it was the clothing that God gave them. Whatever it was, they had some semblance of glory as they walked with God. Now, it's not going to be the glory that we will ultimately suffer, uh, but when they succumbed to sin and fell in rebellion, they lost that. They lost that. They lost not only the communion to be with God themselves, uh, but they lost that aspect of glory. And so man today, you see, is a disgrace as compared to what he was when he was created for the, for the Garden of Eden. Today, man is fallen. Today, the creation is fallen. Uh, Adam and Eve were never meant to experience death. This world was never meant to experience natural disasters. All of that was foreign to God. But when the creation fell, when man fell, when sin came in, well, this is what results. This is what, what results. Uh, and so, all of this changed when they sinned and we're in rebellion to God. Uh, and this is important for you to understand it. This is why we long for glory. This is why we long to be with the Lord. Uh, so when we pass from this world into the next world, uh, when we do that, God restores to us what we had at the Garden of Eden. What a great God we have. Uh, and so we will have an enjoyment and participation of the glory of God when we step through the curtain into the next world. Uh, um, and in this verse that we've read in Romans, Paul compares our current state of suffering in this world to our future glory. And when he makes that comparison, it's nonsensical. There's no comparison. There's no, there's no weights that you put on this side of the scale that compares to what you're going to get when you get to heaven. None. Yes, you're hurting. Yes, you're in pain. Yes, you're unhappy. But know that you're headed for God. You're headed for Jesus. You're headed for an incomparable state of glory. Uh, and Paul is saying to us here, Uh, That the future glory laid up for us is so weighty, is so deep, is so profound that our current sufferings are like feathers on the scale as compared to that. Can you imagine? Uh, Now, Paul describes his many trials and sufferings that he endured for Christ. And I would honestly say that I don't think there was another human being in the history of the world that suffered for Christ the way Paul suffered from Christ. Almost from the very beginning of the Damascus Road experience, he suffered. Uh, he experienced persecution from the beginning. Uh, and the, but he says he did not lose heart. Uh, and he tells us that even though we are outwardly wasting away, and I don't know about you guys, but I am outwardly wasting away. All right? I'm even inwardly wasting away, but the thing is, my spirit is growing stronger every day. Amen? I mean, that's that's the ironic aspect of walking with Christ. Yes, every day we're on this world, we're getting closer to death. We understand that. We're, none of us are going to leave this place alive. My dad used to say, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You know? Uh, and we understand that. But you eventually will die. And your body is wasting away. But here's the thing. As your body wastes away, your spirit is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You are being renewed daily by the Holy Spirit in every possible way. And so our light and momentary trials and troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs everything that we experience. Now, there are several comparisons to be made uh, in this analysis. The first er area of comparison is between the intensity of the suffering and the intensity of the glory to be received. And I think we need to know that. Uh, Suffering is heavy. Suffering is painful. Suffering is hurtful. Uh, But Paul tells us that the intensity of what you experience cannot compare to the intensity of what you will receive. And Paul can certainly speak on this subject as an expert witness as he suffered more than any other man that I know for the glory of God. Look at First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe. To angels, as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. And I say, How's that sound for prosperity? How's that sound for prosperity? I don't know what Bible they're reading. But it's pretty clear here, and he's talking here about the apostles, the leaders of the church, who are suffering more than anybody. That they're a spectacle as they as as they walk through life. Uh, That you're you're being honored, you're being lifted up, but we're suffering, Uh, and, and we go hungry, we go thirsty, we are in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. How about that? They're homeless. They're homeless. We have to work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we don't curse back. We bless them. I love that. We bless them. Uh, When we are persecuted, we endure it because we're enduring it for Christ. We have become the scum of the earth. Wow, the garbage pit of the earth. Uh, And that's the nature of what suffering in this world is about. Now, the second area Uh, of comparison is in location, the location of the suffering. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says that the glory of God is to be revealed in us, meaning within our very being. So what does it mean? As you're in this world and you're experiencing suffering, the glory of God himself is being uh, received in you. And so it affects not only our outward person, but it even affects the emotions and our personality uh, and the very spirit that God has redeemed. Uh, It is the very real definition that I will one day walk with God in glory. God will one day give you the veritable morning star uh, as you're brought to heaven. He will give you a crown of glory to walk forever with Jesus Christ. Uh, So the endurance of our suffering cannot be compared in any way to to the suffering that we, we experience now. Now, the final point of contrast here between suffering and glory concerns its duration, all right? Paul distinguishes between our present sufferings and the glory that will be received when we move from this world to the next. This is an amazing teaching, guys. Uh, this will really, if you adapt your minds to the teaching that you're getting here, you will be freed up for the rest of your life as you go through difficult times. You understand what's going on. This is, a re- it allows you to change the way you look at life, all right? You no longer look at life as a good day or a bad day. They're all good days because you're going to heaven, All right? It might be a little cloudy on a day. You might get a little bad message on a day. But the ultimate message is you're going to heaven. You're saved. Uh, and it affects the very way you live. Not only does it affect the very way you live, but it affects the way you live with other people in your family. How about that? They look at you as an example and they see you. It affects the way people in the church Look at you. Look, focusing on the promise of the glory of God allows you to walk with Jesus and carry the cross. This is the entire nature of what we do. We begin to see life in this world as it really is, a pimple in the river of time. God sees time as a parade. He sees the beginning and the end all at once. He knows right now. What's going on? He knows exactly how it's going to end. And we get obsessed with things in this world. What what I'm teaching you here should affect you for the rest of your life in this world. Uh, Don't focus and become obsessed on the limited period of time you spend here in this world. Instead, look at the cross. Know where you're walking. Know what he has in mind for us. Have the long view of life in mind, meaning, that God is there at the end. And when you do this, you will be delivered from bondage. You will be delivered from the emotional and physical bondage that takes place in this world where people are sold out to the lust of the spirit, the lust of the flesh. Instead, you will see God in the most mighty way, knowing what he has in mind for you. Uh, And so this is what really speaks to my heart to you today. I hope that each and every one of you now understand exactly what God has in mind. Yes, there's dark days ahead. Yes, there's suffering ahead. Yes, there's pain ahead. But He is in control. He's making you more like Jesus Christ in every day. And even as the body wastes away, Even as the body wastes away, the spirit is growing and growing and growing and groaning, groaning to be like him, groaning to be with him. And someday you will. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the lesson that you've given us today, the teachings of of the Apostle. How much it means to us, Lord, to know that you are fully in control of our life. And so even as we don't understand everything we go through in this world, we bow to you, Father. We bow to you, recognizing that you are in control, that you lead us and guide us, uh, and that you will be with us every step of this way. And so give us the focus, Father, to know that this is only a light and and temporary issue. Yes, it seems difficult. Yes, it's profound. But when we step through that curtain, when we step into your presence, there will be no comparison as we experience the glory of God. Father, bless our men. Protect them. And continue to be with them in every way. Continue to bring them back, Lord, to continue to study your word next week as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you.